Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today we continue the series on mental health by discussing the topic of anxiety. My guest today is Shannon Rollins, who is a clinical hypnotherapist and anxiety relief expert. Shannon has a Master of Science degree in Health Behavior from the University of Florida and is a Master NLP Practitioner and Anxiety Rapid Relief Specialist. Shannon has eight years of experience helping men and women improve their mental health and emotional resiliency through hypnosis, one-on-one coaching, group wellness programs, and courses. Her passion is helping people alleviate anxiety and create inner peace for a healthier life inside and out. Hypnosis and hypnotherapy are often misunderstood and associated with entertainment shows. This could not be farther from the truth. Hypnosis has robust scientific framework and medical research continues to show use cases for hypnosis as a therapy tool. Clinical research has shown that it can help relieve pain and anxiety and aid smoking cessation, weight loss, and sleep, just to name a few. It can help individuals better regulate their feelings and behaviors, as well as managing stress, coping with life's challenges, and improving physical and emotional health. In short, hypnotherapy is a genuine psychological therapy process that under the guidance of a certified clinician can be helpful to many. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now, Shannon Rollins. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today I have Shannon Rollins. Shannon, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me today. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for being here. I'm very excited. This is the second episode on a series I started on mental health. Very excited about the topic of mental health. But before we get started, can you give us a quick intro on who you are and how did you end up getting to do this wonderful work? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, uh, so my background, I'm a, actually a clinical hypnotherapist, which is funny because half the people don't want to make eye contact with me. <laughs> but no, I'm kidding. But essentially, my, my background's in health behavior. I, I've always been so in love since I was such a young age and health and well-being staying healthy, feeling good, being productive. And and really to answer your question, how I fell into a career like mental health, I, I really went into a mental well-being background, creating mental health programs for companies. And I was finding that the more I was creating, com- uh, creating these programs for companies, the less I was actually working one-on-one with people. Um, and my real passion was working one-on-one and helping people and helping groups. So that at that point, that's when I went back to school and said, there's got to be another way to help people beyond just me saying, hey, meditate every day for an hour and your life's going to change. Yeah, that's not sustainable for some people, especially who have really, really busy lives. So how can we make it easier? And I'm always looking to find that better way. And that's how that's essentially how I fell into what I'm doing now. That's wonderful. Thank you. When we discuss the the possibility of you helping out here and being a guest and in, in, in this podcast, 
we start talking about mental health and of course mental health is just a broad field there, there's so many yes. different segments and slices of things that one can talk about and one can share with the with the audience but you were very interested in honing down in one specific area which is anxiety so i'm very excited about talking about anxiety as as a segment of the overall mental health picture so why don't you give us a quick overview on when we talk about anxiety what should we be thinking about what do people think it is what is it not you just bring us to a common playing field here? Yeah, uh, really, when it comes to anxiety, this is such a common term that we use now. And the important thing to understand about anxiety, which actually anxiety has gone up since COVID, I'm going to say the COVID word, (laughs) because there's a couple factors, and we can get into that if, if time allows it. But anxiety is something that everyone does experience, at least some point in their lifetime. And so giving a quick overview of anxiety, the best way I like to level this out and and explain it is that it's a warning system. I like to call it an overachiever sometimes. We need to have anxiety sometimes. We need to have an alarm system sometimes. And so there's this two-fold component that a lot of us don't talk about. One of them is the somatic side to anxiety. It's the feeling in your body. It's the fight-or-flight response, the heart racing. My throat is starting to clench up. My mouth is getting dry. I'm not able to make quick decisions because I'm indecisive. The brain isn't functioning properly. These are all aspects of the voice trembling. Any of those feelings that some people have generalized just throughout the day, this low-level anxiety, and some are in full activation all day long. Um, There's other people who they have situational anxiety where they're maybe the idea of coming on this podcast would be like, Oh my gosh. And they're shaking by the time they get by the time. And that used to be me, by the way, shaking by the time you get on the podcast. So that's what we call the somatics. That's the body memory. That's your body speaking to you. Now, the other side of anxiety, which other people look at, and I've seen both in my practice is the cognitive side of anxiety. That is the thoughts, the worry in the mind. Those are the, the battle, the habit loop of anxiety. You combine them both and boom, you have anxiety. Now, some people have just the thoughts and some people have just the feeling in the body. Because what I've noticed in my practice, and I know that many other experts have noticed this as well, is some people only identify with their thoughts and some people only identify with the feeling in in their body. Because if your thoughts are racing, do you actually notice that your thoughts are happening and what that worry is? And so some of the, some of the aspects of anxiety in that twofold component, actually a great book to, to read about this. I love referring to this book with my clients is called Anxiety RX by Dr. Russell Kennedy. And he talks about both aspects of anxiety. If you think of it like this, it's like you're, you have a, you have a, a smoke alarm in your house. And if you're a bad cook like me, your smoke alarm goes off all the time, <laughs> but it doesn't need to. <laughs> and so that's the best way I could describe it. So when it comes to both sides in, in other aspects of, of human life, I guess, where you have a, a, a somatic aspect and a mental aspect, you know, where you have thoughts and actually your biology, you know, reacting. 
is it possible that for anxiety, one ends up feeding the other and then you end up with both at the same time or following each other? Yes, absolutely. Well, and, and some people may say, but Shannon and I have trauma and that's where the body memory happens and the thoughts happen. Sometimes they can happen succinctly at the same exact time. I think trauma is a whole other unpacked thing to go through, but we'll, we'll keep it in this lane. But as far as if someone has it, let's just say you get in a car accident and your body remembers that body memory of uh, the body keeps a score. Another, I'll may throw out some books for people to read or even. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah. One of my favorite yes. books. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's such a great book. It's a long read, but it's totally worth it every, every single page, the body's going to remember. And so what'll happen is it's almost like a habit loop where you start feeling the sensation in your body and then you start having the thought or you start anticipating, oh no, the thought, and then it, it feeds to the body. Um, what I've seen as of the last couple years with with my clients specifically, especially when it comes to panic attacks, when we talk to, when we talk about over threshold anxiety, which can turn into panic, that's when panic attacks can start to happen is that the, the anticipation of, Oh no, what if I have anxiety? What if I break down? What if I lose my train of thought? because I'm in fight or flight? What if the presentation doesn't go well? So there's also a thought process, which I lean on too, that all anxiety is anticipatory anxiety. It's that we're anticipating something happening or something not happening as well. So is this fair to say that it's, uh, somebody told me once that it's just really overworking yourself over the future. Exactly. Uh, So you're basically really paying attention to that that hasn't happened, expecting some type of outcome that is unfavorable. And then as a result of that, getting in this loop of anxious feelings, emotions, and thoughts. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's anticipating for some people it's worst case scenario. Like let's use this for example. I could, I could have came on today and said, Oh my gosh, I'm not prepared. This is going to go horribly. And who knows? (laughs) It's going just fine. <laughs> okay, yeah. But you see, anyone anyone can have this type of anxiety. And so there's also the aspect of it where, yes, it's an unconscious behavior. The automatic thoughts that we have just unconsciously swoop in every now and then. But that's because we've been conditioned our entire lives to be in that thought pattern or that thought loop. So there's a lot of different aspects to it, but when we really take it down to like the core basic level of this, it's exactly what you just said to make it as simplistic. It's worry about the future and what's happening. So let me throw something at you, a scenario, and then you can tell me if this is out in left field or if it's actually spot on. Um, Okay. Hearing you speak, uh, a scene of a movie comes to mind. It's a movie called The Beautiful Mind, A Beautiful Mind. Russell Crowe is a true story of uh, John Nash, who was a Princeton professor who suffered from schizophrenia. Great movie. And in, in the movie, there's... Uh, so obviously, he, he has schizophrenia, so he's, he sees certain people that don't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, They only exist in his mind. 
and of course, this creates a, a whole lot of problems for him with his family and friends and, and so forth and, and his career as well. So at one point, his wife has had it with it, you know, because he doesn't want to take the medications because the medications won't let him teach, et cetera, et cetera. And she's about to leave him. Mm-hmm. And he comes to a moment of lucid thought, what I call lucid thought where he realizes that one of the characters in his mind is this little girl that has been a little girl for years and years and years, meaning she doesn't grow. So mm-hmm. obviously if she doesn't grow, she can't be real. So he has this, this window of lucid thought and he realizes she doesn't age. Yeah. She can't be real. I have a problem. I will fix this. Don't leave me. I got this, right? And then he, as a result of that moment of lucid thought, he takes action, right? And the action leads to him living a long life, you know, and he lived a long life, you know, you know, from then on, he made adjustments and so forth. So when it comes to anxiety, do we get those moments of lucid thought, you know, however short they may be, so that then we can take action, and break out of that anxiety, you know, downward spiral, if you will? That's such a great question because there is, there is so much back and forth about this. I don't want to say argument, but debate. There's so much debate on this topic. Friendly discussion. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That sounds way better. Um, and have you ever had a moment where you were worried about something when you went to bed and you woke up and you weren't worried about it anymore. Yes, I have. Yeah. I, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Cause it always comes at night. Yeah. Not everyone's like that. Some people it, it comes on in the morning, but it's man, why was I so worried about it? The best way I can describe this because I know everyone can relate to this at some point is finances. You know, you're, you pull up your spreadsheets or you're budgeting and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to get this under control. And you're so worried and you feel the anxiety begin to build in your body and it's in your chest. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm doomed. And it's worst case scenario. And then you get your spreadsheets in order. You contact your bookkeeper or whatever. And you wake up in the morning. You're like, oh, wow, I'm so responsible with my money. <laughs> the <laughs> night before was like desolate. That's exactly how we work. And it's because stress is... De- I love working, looking at stress and anxiety. You know, anxiety is that that build up, that worry of both combined, especially that long term. But it's designed to also mobilize you. It's designed to move you in a direction of mobilizing you. And if and if you're interested in also looking at the biology of this, Dr. Andrew Huberman, I love. Do you? I, I'm, oh yeah, I love I love oh, his podcast. He's from Stanford, correct? Yeah. Yes, he is a, yeah. a Stanford professor, and um, he does an entire series on anxiety and stress. And there's one episode, and I I think it's called like the biology of um, stress. And he gives he gives a couple different types of techniques, and we'll go through some as well. But I love the way that he describes that it's designed to mobilize your brain. And it creates such a sense of agitation in your body that it makes you want to move or say something. So things get done. And he even goes into procrastination where people procrastinate because they're creating that sense of agitation that's going to force them to move on a biological level even. 
That's very interesting you say that because are you familiar with uh, Dr. Bruce Perry? He wrote mm-hmm. a book called um, What Happened to You that he co-wrote with Oprah. Yep. And he, of course, he he's a, a psychiatrist. He deals with extreme trauma, you know, uh, childhood trauma. But he, he talks about the three R's on how to get get someone who is in some sort of state of non-control and get them back into a state of a bit more ease. The three R's are regulation, uh, relating, and then reasoning. And regulation is basically movement. Like the first thing you have to do when you're in some sort of uncomfortable state, mental state or, you know, psychosomatic state or whatever the case may be, whether Mm -hmm. it's as a result of deep trauma or as a result of anxiety, which is what we're talking about here, the best thing you can do is is to move, go for a walk, start doing push-ups, jumping jacks, something, go dancing, right? Dancing. Before you try to relate, in this case, if you're having a conversation with somebody, don't relate with the person until you get them to move. And for sure, don't try to reason before uh, you get them to regulate and relate. That's what like arguments happen. The, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly how arguments yeah. happen. So it seems like for this, it's it's all part of the same equation where movement is so important for our lives, especially when we're in a state of disease. That is spot on. I was actually about to go there when it comes, people will say, well, what about the body side of it, the somatic side? And I always say, I know you don't want to hear this. You got to move your body, go to the gym. And, and also when it comes to moving the body, social connection is also a huge component when it comes to I wish I could remember. He's also a Stanford professor as well. And he talks specifically about anxiety and social connection, feeling like you connect, feeling like you belong. Um, and these are when it comes to um, when it comes to movement of the body, a walk outside. I, I go on a daily walk every single night after dinner. It's not only good for your digestion, but what is what mm-hmm. happens here? You're processing as you're moving your physical body, it's pent up. I call it pent up energy, breath work. If you're not, well, and here's what'll happen. Sometimes I'll have clients come to me because this is a top thing that I, I help my clients with. Sometimes they'll come to me and they'll say, listen, I'm not going to meditate an hour a day. So forget about it. Don't tell me about it. <laughs> I'd rather go to a rage room with a bat. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we're not going to focus <laughs> on that. And that's why I started getting into this more. Cause I was like, well, this needs to be a practical approach for people who are very, very busy humans. I'm not going to sit and ask is meditate. Yes. Your life will probably change. If you meditate an hour a day, I'm not going to say it's not good, but also from a practical sense, if you can't calm the thoughts then move the body first. And my process, what I do is I work on helping people process through their body, through breath work, through, um, through getting them to have movement, through all these things. And then we start working on the thoughts over time when the body feels more calm. Um, there, are so, there are so many different yoga breathing and movement combined, just breathing, um, is combined too. And these are all little techniques that take just a little bit of time each and every day. And you're retraining your mind and your nervous system to slow down. You're teaching yourself that you're safe, essentially. 
That's wonderful. Let's. You mentioned about a couple of times about types of anxiety as you were talking. As you know, so I'm assuming that there's different types of anxiety. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. Yes. So there's there's different types. Um, there is like compound anxiety. That's trauma, like how you had mentioned trauma, PTSD. Um, Though when when I say compound, and especially when we get into phobias is another type, there's thresholds of anxiety, right? There and so when it talks to PTSD, it's a lot of things that can be stacked at once, or it could be one significant event. Um, same with phobia. It could be a lot of events that have repeated over time that have stacked on top of each other, either since childhood or since last year, just a lot of repetitive things or one significant event. It's just the threshold that your body and your mind can handle. By the way, everyone's different um, when it comes to this, but I'll get, get into that in a moment. The second one is, or the other one is situational. Anxiety, like I said, public speaking, talking on a podcast, going into a meeting, um, getting in a car, and just having a fear of driving. Um, these are, or maybe just a fear of driving in intersections. That's a situational, and then ongoing. Ongoing is ever since I can remember, I've had anxiety, just my whole life. When I last so my entire life, I've had it, um, and then also social anxiety, of course. And then there's uh, there's something called oddity anxiety oddity anxiety is like interesting types of anxiety like a fear of buttons or a fear of and these are the types of phobias or anxieties by the way that are very very common that I see that no one wants to talk about because no one talks about it so no one wants to talk about it so they feel like they're on an island by themselves but I mean like a fear of soap, a fear of, and so all the, you'll, you'll notice I also use the word fear too, because that's, that's, it's the root. That's the root of what's going on. It's fear. It's worry. And so if we could tie it all into one, um, I usually say the root of anxiety is fear in most, in most cases. Interesting. Interesting yeah. that, that they're, they're so closely related. So. Sure. How do we go about this? You know, as, as you know, the, the idea of this podcast is three thoughts on, and in, the, in today's episode is three thoughts on anxiety. How would you, for the audience, you know, and everyone that's listening has had, like you said, anxiety at some point or another, at some level or another, what are three things that they could walk away today uh, with on how to manage or how to deal with or how to, how to get better with anxiety? Yes. Yes. Um, so the first one is perception. There could be two people sitting in a room that have gone through the same exact life experiences. They could be twins. Actually, I know a set of twins who've gone through the same exact life experiences. One has severe anxiety and the other one, eh, YOLO. <laughs> life is great. <laughs> you want to know the difference? It's the perception. It's the way they see themselves in the world. And it's their confidence and their ability that they can handle anything that happens in life. I'll figure it out. It's the, I, have you ever met people like that? You're probably like that. Yeah. <laughs> you're, I think you're like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll figure yeah, it out. Like that. Yeah. There's tons mm -hmm. of resources. What? There's YouTube. I'll look up a YouTube video. I'll, I'll ask a friend. It's, it's 
looking at and identifying and labeling also what your anxiety is. And I, I'm don't shoot the messenger, but I hate the word anxiety. I mean, it's just, a, it puts us all in a box. It says we can't get out of it. And then now we have a diagnosis and I'm not a doctor. So <laughs> I like to preface that, but, but when it, when it comes to really debunking what anxiety is and changing the perception, pausing for a moment and even writing this down and asking yourself what emotions are underneath this anxiety. If we could, some people say, may say anxious that it is an emotion. I want you to act like it's not an emotion for just a moment, throw it out the window, throw the label out the window and say, what is actually going on here? Am I scared? Am I upset? If I, am I overwhelmed? Am I feeling stuck? Am I feeling a little nervous? Do I have some doubt? Write down all the emotions underneath that because you're able to easily do something about those emotions more so than just this big umbrella of anxiety. All these emotions are underneath anxiety, by the way. Um, and so changing that perception and labeling it into something new, that's step one. That I'm going to give them in steps is starting to to pull apart. Let's just pull the pull apart and call it what it is if it's not anxiety, and be able to do something about it. Um, the second thing as well is is learning to work with some of that agitation. And why don't we just call this anxiety a part of us that's creating this agitation to get us to do something? What does it need us to do? Listen, Raphael, I've had people have severe anxiety and they left a relationship and poof, it's done. It's gone. It's their body was literally telling them, <laughs> you're, you're right? Their, their body is telling mm. them, you got to get out of this situation. And it, it's persistent, persistent, persistent. And guess what? It will stay there forever. Like it, until you do something about it. And so the, the sec, that's the second thought is to learn to work with it by asking that part creating what are you trying to tell me if you're trying to speak to me on an unconscious level what are you trying to say so that's step two and then step number three is the somatics piece to it as well which are daily things that you can begin to start doing we already touched on one which was moving your body. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's yoga, joining a walking club, just going for a walk outside after dinner. I promise you're going to start feeling better. You're processing your day as you walk at night. It's a great, great exercise. Um, or riding your bike, whatever, whatever feels best for you. The other one I love to point out too, it's called eye fixation. So eye fixation is a hypnotic technique where you expand your peripheral vision. So what you would actually end up doing is staring at a point beyond you above eye level. If you're, let's just say it's nighttime, you have some anxiety going to sleep. When you're staring at that point, relax your jaw, relax your tongue, and then you're just going to take a deep breath in and on the exhale, relax, deep breath in, relax. So you're expanding your peripherals. What you're doing is you're teaching your mind and your body how to relax in a way that you're not meditating for a full hour. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Yep. And so the other thing as well um, that 
in addition to talking to the part of you, in addition to that eye fixation technique is focusing on gratitude. Now, I really, uh, I really love focusing on gratitude while going on a walk. Um, what I actually do with my clients, and they roll their eyes now, I get it, but they, they come in and sit down and I say, what good things have happened this week? And you could tell right away they're, <laughs> they're going through, everything's a mess. And I'm like, please stop, please. I want to highlight some of the things because the mind is still always trying to protect you. It's trying to, and so sometimes, you know what I do sometimes? I'm like, listen, you don't have to protect me right now. I'm cool. Go kick back, have a coffee, you know, go have something. Leave me alone. They're subpersonalities. We all have different parts of us that are trying to serve a purpose in our lives. And they're, of course, parts of our psyche. But these small little techniques, I, want to, I don't want to give too much to make it overwhelming, but these little techniques are a great starting point to help you understand yourself better and calm the mind and body. Oh, this is wonderful. This is, is there's a lot there. So let me see if I can mm-hmm. kind of connect the dots here for, for the audience on some of the things that I've discussed in previous podcasts. So you mentioned something about what you were talking about, the example of the twins, you know, one, you know, they're identical twins. Um, one suffers from anxiety. The other one is, you know, you only live once kind of, kind of personality. And you mentioned that one of the, one of the reasons why there's that difference is because, of, because of perception and keep me honest here, but perception gets traced back to the model of the world that we've, our brain has created for us through which we see the world. Correct. Right. And in, in, in the book, a thousand brains, Jeff Hawkins talks about that this is a model that gets built from birth, right? And it grows up to a point and then it becomes the lens through which we see the world, mm-hmm. right? And the only way to change that lens is just through new experiences and where we make ourselves do the uncomfortable, mm-hmm. where we push ourselves you know, into areas of discomfort. And that could be mental discomfort, or it can be like I talked last week with Joe DeSena, physical discomfort, things like cold plunges and things like, you know, temperature control, uh, stress, right? But the idea there is, is that that model that we use to see the world through and that we compare the world to, or that lens we see the world through, can be adapted. And it can be adapted as a function of the actions that we choose to take during those moments of lucid thought. And when that happens, a process called reframing takes place, right? Correct. So now we no longer see something as fearful anymore or something as a source of anxiety. Am I on the right track here or did I lose myself somewhere? Absolutely. No, reframing is something that a lot of either therapists or coaches or just personal development is you're reframing. What could this be instead? What could this mean instead? It's There's always another side of the coin. I'm not saying look for a silver lining in the most horrific experiences, which at, at some point <laughs> when you reach forgiveness or, or processing may need to happen. But being able to see through a different model of the world. So, I mean, this could, we could talk forever. I know, Raphael. But when we look at the model of the world, one thing that I say, especially 
towards maybe people I don't agree with and we have different views or maybe someone's super angry at a store and they're screaming and they push me. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to get angry probably. But also my biggest thing is I respect your model of the world. Your model of the world is always going to be different than mine. Your thoughts and experiences are always different than mine. And how can I shift my model of the world to be more, uh, more solvable for me? How can I make it less problematic? What if I looked at this differently than I needed to look at it? Does this have to mean this? Or could this uncomfortable experience mean that I'm growing? What if my boss denying me a promotion could mean that it's a new opportunity for me to put myself out there for something new? Or what if it could help me look into new resources to become a master negotiator in the future? So there's all there's always these different types of ways of opening up to looking at it and, and changing that perception. I mean, that in itself could make an anxiety disappear. It's the way you're looking at it. Oh, it's interesting, but I think you know for the audience mm-hmm. because it's 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 easy to stay in our heads. I do this all the time. I, in fact, I prefer to stay in my head. You know, it's me just too. Where Don't I like worry, to that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like um, the real common denominator for for everyone that fits in the category of being a human, a person. Right? We all have anxiety. So, but the one common denominator that would work for everyone. For me, sometimes if I stay in my head, I can get myself out of that state. But for some people, that may not be the case. You know, once you get into that loop, once you get into that spiral where now you're feeling things, now your body is in in the room and it's acting up and you get the butterflies in the stomach and you get the sweaty palms and now you're, you know, going through all this somatic experience. Is it safe to say that the one thing anyone can do is this find the strength to go move. Because I think that's very, Correct. very important. I think if we can give people the hope that no matter, and of course, you know, if you need to seek you know, medical help, obviously seek medical help. This is not in replacing medical help, but moving, getting some sort of movement, whether it's dancing, walking, running, exercising, what, whatever the case may be, singing. I, I, I do a lot of singing, you know, playing a musical instrument, getting some humming sort of motion. It's a Vegas nerve, yeah, humming. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. That could be the beginning or could set the ball rolling for that anxiety to start coming down. Yes, I love how you package this in a little bow for me because I tend to go off on tangents. <laughs> but the the process that I do with my clients, and I know what a lot of people do, is you cannot solve a problem with just your thought. You have to solve it with the unconscious mind. And so, yes, reframing is a thing, but how can we reframe when our thoughts are racing and we're like almost in panic? So to do that, you move your body. You expand the energy, you blow up, in quotes, blow off steam, you blow off steam, and then you sit down, and then you're able to do something with it much easier. You're able to work with it much easier because the thoughts are calmer, and you've been able to process on whatever type of movement that you're doing. And maybe the problem went away by the time you moved your body as well. So let me, let me throw something at you, and again, sure. always keep me honest. Um, 
I've come to, and I cannot for the life of me find where I've been looking for quite some time, where I read this. I know I read it somewhere, or maybe I dreamed about it. I don't know, but it makes so much sense to me. I would like, I would like for it to be true, but I don't know if it is. So it seems to be that there is this, this ladder, okay, where thoughts come and go. You know, we, we, the, our thoughts are not ours. People would like to believe they are. No, they're not. You know, they, they come and go. They're, they're just passing through the compass of your mind, right? Mm-hmm. And when a thought passes through that compass and we indulge in that thought, long enough, it seems that that could develop a feeling. And if I take that feeling and I indulge it long enough, that can become an emotion. And if I indulge in an emotion long enough, that becomes a mood. And if I indulge in that mood long enough, that becomes a personality trait. And then you say, this is just the way I am. I'm just an anxious person, mm. right? And, and now we come to this acceptance, right? And yes. in my mind, again, me staying in my mind, I say, well, we weren't born that way. Uh, we learned to become that way, right? So I should be able to walk that ladder backwards, you know, to start peeling that onion back from this person. Why am I this way? Why am I this way? Does that go back to an emotion? I feel, you know, I have this emotion and then that emotion comes back to this feeling. And in that feeling, where is the source of that? That actually can be mapped down to a thought or something that I learned, something somebody told me long ago. You know, this, this, this talk with the inner child. Um, mm-hmm. Is that a valid breakdown um, that is useful to us? You just or am I left field? Nope, you just described exactly what I do <laughs> in okay, a nutshell. Great. Yes, you were 100% on board. So the one thing that I love that you said, by the way, is that there, you know, there, there are, there, okay, first of all, there's no anxiety gene. They have not proven an anxiety gene. Not yet. And in, in, in genetics, not yet. They may, yeah, they may, whatever, but they have not yet. All I do know is that a lot of anxiety is a learned behavior. And this is based on my experience with my clients. Now, there is a great book when it comes to genes um, and and it being passed down. There, there, from an epigenetic standpoint, there is a lot of research coming out on, on what types of traits are you carrying, especially from personality traits. Um his name, Dr. Mark Woolen, and it's, it didn't start with you. It didn't start with you. Um, it's a good book. Yeah, it's a good book. And then there's also the habit loop, right? There's the, that anxiety can be a habit. And by the way, even if we can all agree that some of anxiety is a learned behavior and sometimes it's observing, observing mom worry about X, Y, Z thing. Um, I do something with my clients and here from a hypnotherapy standpoint where we regress back to what is that root cause of the belief that, and you said the thought, the belief, that ladder, mm-hmm. we're going up the ladder and we're, that came from somewhere. It came from an event or somewhere. And so when we go back, oftentimes what I see with my clients, especially when it comes to anxiety is they're observing a parent. It's not even a parent telling them something they're observing depending on, on the situation of mom's a worrier. Oh, I'm a worrier. I like to worry. 
And there's certain, there's some aspects from childhood too. One of them is growing up too early, having to take care of all your siblings. I'm responsible. So now that's a lot of weight on a child's shoulders, having to grow up too much. And that part of you always, you mentioned inner child, that part of you always stays with you as you, as you grow up. And, and of course there's other certain types of like, if, you know, someone's gone through abuse, of course that can create an activated nervous system that stays with you and a feeling that you're unsafe. And so both the body and the mind, um, combined storing all this information, all this capacity. And so you're to loop back to what you were saying, a hundred percent, right. We kind of start from a, like a bottom up approach where we got to get comfortable enough with ourselves to start looking inward and say, what the heck is going on here? And a good start for that is listening to the body. Like I said, it's called a felt sense, but listening to what is your body. If you could imagine your body's your unconscious part of you, that back of your mind, that's just trying to speak, or even your intuition, just trying to speak to you and tell you that something's off. Just ask, what are you trying to tell me? What's your story? And then you can start to deconstruct well, I know that this isn't true. So how do I trace it back to, and of course there's so many different therapies. I mean, cognitive behavioral therapy, hypnotherapy is great for this too. Other different types of therapy, combining both the mind and the body um, over time to get it in a state of confidence and calm. Oh, this is wonderful. I am excited about this because the, again, the common denominator in that ladder going up and down is action is to, is to actually, Stand up and act as you deconstruct. And it's uncomfortable to act. Right. And, and, <laughs> but, but, you, but the brain... That's the change. Yeah, exactly. But the brain likes that novelty, right? Mm-hmm. So as, as, we, as we get into doing better, we start feeling better. Yes. And as we start feeling better, we start living better, right? But it begins with the doing, right? But to do it, you have to become the observer, which is the first point you make, which is perception how we perceive, then we have, then we go about, okay, so how do we change that perception? How do we get into that process of reframing, right? It's a big word, reframing. Well, that reframing happens by exposing ourselves to new opportunities outside of our comfort zone, challenge ourselves a little bit. So we're almost out of time. What would you like to leave the audience with uh, when it comes to anxiety? What are your final thoughts? Final thoughts on anxiety. Um, One big thing is that there are so many resources. There are so many resources. And as you probably have gathered, it's usually not a one size, one thing, one special method, one special technique. The cool thing about anxiety relief is it's already things that help you be a healthier person inside and out. You could listen to one of Raphael's exercise or, you know, the benefits of exercise episode. I don't, I don't know if you've done one of those yet, but, and, and you'll notice it's the same thing. You know, it's just about being a healthier you inside and out. And all of these things help nutrition, certain types of nutrition. I'm sure Dr. Andrew Huberman has done an episode on nutrition and anxiety relief, like ashwagandha, magnesium, omega-3s, like all the things that can naturally help eliminating caffeine. Like, so it is a puzzle piece, but having the right team can help you eliminate anxiety. And the second thing too, is if you're thinking I'm just an anxious person, 
take a moment to step into that observer and know that anything can be solved and anything can be worked on. I have a true belief, like at a deep cellular level that everything can always be improved with any person. Um, and so give yourself that grace and, and that self care to say, Hey, I can improve. I can work on releasing this and you don't have to put yourself in that box. That's wonderful. Shannon, can you let people know where they can find you and your work? Sure. Um, the best place right now to find me is probably to go to my website, shannonrollins.com. Um, there are some resources on there, free resources. And then also um, my hypnosis store, there is an anti-anxiety um, programming, hypnotic programming on there as well. If you want to take a moment to, to step into that and, and help help from that body-mind perspective as well. Well, Shannon, you mentioned gratitude. I am grateful for you. Thank you for being... I'm grateful for you too. Thank you for being my guest today. <laughs> and uh, we will see each other very soon. Okay, sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. 